I want to ask you to take your Bibles this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Let's stand as we open the Word of God together. I'm going to read the first four verses, but we'll look at the context of this uh, chapter where Jesus is commissioning His disciples to go out and make a difference, networking His ministry, being the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ in the world. Starting with verse 1 in chapter 10, it says, Summoning His twelve disciples, He gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter. Andrew, his brother. James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector. It's interesting that Matthew is writing this. He never forgot what God saved him from, right? <laughs> James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Interesting, Judas Iscariot is not only called a disciple, but here mentioned as one of the apostles. We know that another apostle had to replace him, and then God had a plan to bring the apostle Paul into the mix as well. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you demonstrated what ministry was all about, and then you sent your disciples out to do what you had been doing. I pray that as we come to this time of uh, worship where we receive your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take it and speak to every one of us here this morning. All of us are called to be servants of the living God. And I pray that we would take that very seriously today. Especially I pray for Kel, I pray for Ashley, I thank you for their family, and I pray that uh, you would use this message as an admonishment, as a guide for them to live by. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. A former rear, rear admiral, easy for me to say, in the United States Navy, made this statement one time, referring to a ship in port. The statement is, a ship in port is safe, but this is not what ships are built for. A ship in port is safe, but this is not what ships are built for. This is a, a wonderful, safe place for us to be. But this is an equipping place. This is a preparation and an assembling place that is necessary, but it is also necessary for us to go forth from this place and serve and make a difference. We live in an age where people choose an immobilized security rather than launching out as royal subjects on mission for Him. So I want to speak to us this morning on being servants of the King. That we would not be people who seek after an immobilized security. Well, as long as I don't volunteer for much, as long as I don't get too involved, I'll be safe and maybe I won't get hurt in the process. That's not what we were made for. The disciples were commissioned later at the end of Matthew's Gospel, to go and make disciples. Not to make converts, but to reproduce themselves and make disciples who in turn would make disciples and impact the world with the Gospel of Christ. Commission to make disciples. For generations to come, the ministry of Christ would multiply through these disciples. More specifically, as we look at Matthew 10 this morning, Jesus is 
networking his ministry, those things that he had been doing while he was on this earth, he still was not present in an omnipresent way at this moment. Part of his incarnation, part of his putting on flesh. And so he would commission his disciples to go and multiply his ministry to do exactly what he had been doing and to spread that ministry throughout the region which they found themselves. Teaches us a lot about leadership. Teaches us a lot about shepherding, the importance of networking ministry. When you think about the responsibility even a pastor has, the Apostle Paul told the elders at the church at Ephesus that the pastors, more specifically, it's a compound Greek word called pastor-teacher there, that position is given in the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. In other words, pastors aren't placed in a particular location to do the work of the ministry, although that's part of their job description, modeling and shepherding. But they're placed there to equip the saints so that all may be doing the work of the ministry. And the best way that I know to equip the saints is through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God as a pastor-teacher. And so Jesus begins modeling that shepherd and, and, and equipping type ministry here with His disciples He's been spending time with. So this morning, while I charge Kel for the office of deacon, encourage Ashley as a deacon's wife, there's an application in this text for every one of us. And so I would charge you as a church to say, in your heart of hearts this morning, Lord, speak to me concerning what it means to be a servant of the King. I know of no greater honor that every one of us can say that we have than that we are subjects and servants of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. So two important principles to hang on to this morning. The first one is this, and I believe that Kel already believes this with all of his heart, and that is this, your availability is more important than your ability. Your availability is more important than your ability. So many people are hesitant to serve because they focus on their own abilities rather than making themselves available to the God who delights in doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. If you're sitting there this morning saying, well, I'm just not all that special, good, because God delights in using the humble estate you find yourself in, saying, I want to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. When we read here in verse 1, we see that these disciples were commissioned to do, again, exactly what Jesus had been doing. He summoned these twelve. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. The authority that Christ had. You know, Christ is not in some kind of cosmic even battle with Satan. Christ is Lord over this universe. And He gave that authority to His disciples. In Matthew chapter 16, as He explains to Peter that He would give him the keys to the kingdom, He said before that, on this rock, the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, He said, I'll build my church on this rock, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God's church would stand in the authority of Jesus Christ. These are the disciples, because they were available, would receive this supernatural authority and ability to do Jesus' ministry, to be His hands and His feet in the world. So what were they to go out and go forth doing? It says, authority over unclean spirits, driving them out, healing every disease and sickness. And then he begins to give the names 
of these disciples. Now, it's interesting as we think about these disciples. They were simply available, ordinary men. The book of Acts says they were ordinary, unschooled, uneducated men. For the most part, I think it's speaking there, that for the most part, they weren't guys that you would have thought had a flashy theological education. But it says they took note that these disciples had what? They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. And that made all the difference because your availability is more important than your ability. The first four disciples named here were fishermen. That was their trade. That's what they had done for a living. And I like Peter because he's kind of the redneck of the crowd and shows that if God can use this guy from rural northern Galilee who was a fisherman by trade, he can use any of us here today to do whatever he wants to do in and through us. It was Peter that would preach that sermon at Pentecost where 3,000 would be saved. God used this disciple in a profound way. We'll go on to read about these men. Thomas is mentioned, he struggled with doubts. So some of you struggle with doubts are in good company. Simon the Zealot, he was a political revolutionary. He wanted to overthrow the Roman government and make things right. God was ready to use him. We know practically nothing of three of these men. All we know of Philip is that his name means lover of horses. Any lover of horses here this morning? Might be good candidates to be used of God in a special way. Matthew, who's writing this gospel, is the only white-collar guy that we see kind of standing out here, and he worked for the IRS, which made him very unpopular among the Jewish crowd. So his availability was more important than his ability to connect with the crowd at this point. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 reminds us that it is God who works in us both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. When God desires to do something, He is looking for available vessels to pour His Spirit into, to equip, to do His work, to make a difference in this world. I've used this illustration many times. Some of you have heard me talk about the the Spirit-filled life and used this illustration, but when I was a kid back in the 1980s, we would stay up Turned the antenna just right so that we could watch the Braves play baseball when the Braves, we used to say it this way, the Braves and Michael Jackson wore one glove for no apparent reason back in those days. We'd watch the Braves. I would wait on one player for the Braves to make a spectacular play because he was the golden glove on the team. Some of you know who I'm talking about, right? Dale Murphy. I heard, I heard somebody say, Dale Murphy. I wanted to see Dale Murphy make another one of those diving catches or leap over the wall and pull the ball back in. And he was a golden glove. Everybody talked about what a great glove Dale Murphy had. And I thought, how silly, how ridiculous. That's not a, that glove's not any better than a glove me or you could go and buy. What made that glove such an awesome glove was that Dale Murphy put his hand in it. <laughs> that glove was an inanimate object. But when Dale Murphy put that glove on, then it did spectacular things. And we're kind of like a ball glove. The Bible says that we're jars of clay. We're, we're clay pots. We're clay vessels. Not worth a lot. Saying you were a clay vessel in those days would be like saying you're a styrofoam cup today. What gives us value is who lives on the inside of us. And you may say, I just can't accomplish too much. But when Jesus Christ comes and lives inside of you, 
He can do in and through you what you could never do in and of yourself. And so our availability to say, here I am, Lord, use me. Here I am, Lord, fill me, minister through me, makes all the difference. We see in verses 5 and 6, Jesus began to give them further instructions. He really made their availability uncomplicated here. And it says, the twelve Jesus sent out, and when He sent them out, after giving them instructions, He says, don't, don't take the road leading to the other nations. Don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says, look, where you are already available, start right there. Start right there. Kel, I want to challenge you this morning. Be available first and foremost to Christ like they were. But start where you are. Be available to your family. That's one of the requirements is that you make a commitment to minister to your family first and then to the body of Christ and then to the community and then God begins to open up doors. And that's true for every one of us. We need to start by making ourselves available to the Lord Jesus Christ saying, here I am, Lord. I'm expendable for you. Use me any way you want to use me. I'm available. There's no task too difficult. Here I am. And then make yourself available to your family. Don't try to be outside of the home what you're not willing to be inside of the home. Be available to your family. We make no apologies around here. And Pastor Ben can tell you this is true. Now, both of us believe in, in, in working hard and, and getting things done for the kingdom of God. we got a vision and a passion for the, the church, the body of Christ, and reaching our community. But, but we hold each other accountable in the area that we need to look after our families first. And that's the way it should be in every position of church. Let's, let's take care of our family. Take care of ourselves. Paul told the elders at the church of Ephesus in the book of Acts, take heed to yourselves and then to the flock of God, which the Lord has made you overseers. And so you have the family, you have the body of Christ, and then you have the community. I believe that when we make those priorities, we're available, then God will do abundantly, exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think in and through us. Now, here's the second principle I want you to remember this morning. That God is more concerned with your availability than your ability. But secondly, faithfulness is more important than popularity. Faithfulness is more important than popularity. That's why we're here today. That's why those who are already serving, our deacons, Kale, our teachers, our Nursery workers, and let's make no mistake about it. If you are a nursery worker, you roll up your sleeves and serve in that nursery. You're as valuable to the kingdom of God as Billy Graham. And so when we come to a place where we say, I'm simply going to be faithful, that's more important than being popular, then we're good candidates for the Lord to use in a mighty way. Not that you can't be well-loved, and well-liked, and even popular in so many ways. But your faithfulness to Christ and your family and your church has to be a priority. Now look at verse 16. Why is that important? Because Jesus begins to anticipate. He looks past the immediate opportunity of the day, and He sees that His disciples will eventually extend ministry far and wide, and there will be days when serving Jesus simply isn't popular. Some of you would say, listen, every day I go to school... It's not popular to serve Jesus, right? Anybody ever feel like it's unpopular to serve Jesus in your workplace? We will live in a day and in a time where serving Jesus 
and doing what God has called us to do will not be popular. And it's important in those moments to be faithful. Skip down to verse 16. He says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd, be as wise as serpents, be as harmless as dove, because people will hand you over to Sanhedrins and flog you in their synagogues. Beware of them. Look out for what they're up to. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the nations. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how you should speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour. What was Jesus saying? Just be faithful to do what I called you to do. Just keep on keeping on. You be faithful. I'll give you the words when it's time, because you are not speaking, but the Spirit of the Father is speaking through you. He goes on to say, in these last days, brother will betray brother to death, and father is child. Children will even rise up against their parents and have them put to death, But you and you will be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be delivered. And when they persecute you in one town, escape to another. For I assure you, you will not have covered the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And that's probably not speaking of the rapture, the second coming of Christ, but in this context, he's saying, listen, before I bring judgment on this land, and we know in 70 A.D., that is what happened in Israel. Before I bring judgment on this land, there's going to be a, a, a great move of God. God's going to use you and do a work in and through your life. That's why Paul in Acts 6, he charged the early church to find men full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. You know the situation there in Acts chapter 6. Some people call this the uh, inceptional deacon ministry. But when Paul was ministering there, it says that there was uh, I'm sorry, before Paul was even on the scene, when, uh, when, when Peter and the disciples were ministering, they were having to pull away from the Word of God. They were having to pull away from feeding the people spiritually because there were so many care ministry needs. And so he said, listen, we've got to give time to prayer. We've got to give time to the Word, but we need more people involved in networking the care ministry of the church. And so they said, find seven men full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, men of wisdom, and they, they brought those men who were faithful their faithfulness stood out. Their character stood out. They made those men servants there who would network ministry throughout the life of the church. There's going to be times when you are involved in Jesus' ministry, when you're involved in touching lives, that what you're doing isn't so popular. Well, let me just go ahead and warn everybody of something and I know of no greater place to be this morning than Trinity Baptist Church. I know of no more wonderful church family. I love the folks here at Trinity. My family will tell you, and I've got a wife and two children who love Jesus, love their church, and I thank God that they are very proud to be a part of the church that they're a part of because we not only offer love, but we receive love. There's a wonderful spirit here. There's a spirit of desire to grow. There's a maturity that's taking place among our people. But even in the best of locations, if you serve the Lord faithfully in ministry, you're going to get burned from time to time. You're going to get burned. Somebody's going to hurt your feelings from time to time. Somebody's going to do something you didn't like. Somebody may underappreciate what you're doing. If you are serving the Lord faithfully, and faithfulness is more important than popularity, it's simply going to happen. You know, um, some of you know that for, for uh, several years, Tina worked in the cafeteria at Athens Christian School, and I always wondered when I would get a call from her if she was going to say, well, today I got burned or today I got cut. 
Um, constantly there, there was something, you know, probably not as much with other ladies as much as Tina. I don't know why, why that is, but she was constantly saying, man, I, I, you wouldn't believe what I did today. I got burned. I got cut. But not once did she ever say, you know what, that's it. I have cut myself for the last time. You can do all the cooking. I try to help every now and then, but she never said, you can do all the cooking. You can handle the kitchen. I'm not going into another kitchen as long as I shall live. She never said that. She just went back to work the next day. Came home, spent time in the kitchen. Why? Because meals needed to be served. People needed to eat. There was a responsibility somebody had to embrace. But so many times in the church, people will begin to serve. And all of a sudden, something they did will not be so popular. They'll say, you know what? I served in that area. I'm not going, I'm not going there again. I served in that kitchen. I got burned. I got cut. I'm not doing that again. And they back away. And meals still need to be served. And the people that burned you still need to eat. That's why Jesus is warning the disciples, things are going to happen. You're not going to always be so popular. But faithfulness is more important than popularity. Evangelist Bobby Boyle said, you know what? Take the heat and prepare the meat. (laughs) Take the heat and prepare the meat. Just stay in the kitchen. Keep on cooking. You're going to get burned. You're going to get cut. Stay at it. Stay faithful in ministry. Faithfulness is more important than popularity. I'm not preaching the Word of God today to be light. I'm preaching the Word of God today to be faithful to do what God has called me to do. And every one of us, our deacons, our teachers, our nursery workers, our student ministry leaders, our children's ministry workers, everyone has a call of God on their life, and God is saying, be faithful. Oh, you got burned last week. You got burned the week before. Stay faithful to do what God is calling you to do. You can choose to stay out, or you can choose to learn and grow. You will likely experience more cuts and burns. Stay with it, because people are hungry. We need to prepare the meals. Paul explains to Timothy that the faithful character of a deacon and his wife are more important than popularity. And so I want to kind of wrap this up with a charge from 1 Timothy chapter 3. In the first half of the chapter, Paul has charged the elders of the church. The word elder, pastor, bishop are all three used interchangeably. In Acts chapter 20, 1 Peter 5, speaking of the the pastor elder of the church, the elders of the church, as the church grows, it needs more pastors, pastor elders. Uh, Some people will say, do you believe in a plurality plurality of elders? Absolutely. Um, But I also believe that Scripture teaches it's the same office, the pastor and the elder, because the words are used interchangeably again and again and again. And then he moves from the elder to the deacons. And in, in the deacon ministry, He gives this charge. Deacons, this is verse 8, deacons likewise should be worthy of respect. And I appreciate the great respect that I've seen shown to Kel, shown to his family. Worthy of of respect. Not hypocritical. That means they live what they preach. Not drinking a lot of wine. Some translations say not given to wine. Not greedy for money. Holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. I know what I believe. I stand on it. They must also be tested first. That's why 
Kale did an apprenticeship with us. Real blessing watching him go through that. Be tested first, and if they prove blameless, when they can, then they can serve as deacons. And then he addresses the wives. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect. Some translations say women. The same Greek word for wives can be translated women. Uh, but what you see here in the context is a complementary ministry. I'll have people uh, from time to time say, well, do you believe in women deacons? Well, I believe in deacons' wives. I believe that from the very beginning of creation, God made Adam and Eve to be a ministry partnership. Interestingly, God created marriage before He established a nation, before He established a church. And I believe that He's called husbands and wives to work together in ministry. And the best way and the safest way for men and women to work together is when it's a husband and a wife. So I believe He's addressing the wives here, saying you're part of this ministry partnership. And just as Kel and Ashley are partners in marriage, a team together in marriage, she will complement His ministry in the church in the same way, and already has been doing that. So it says, wives too must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-control, faithful in everything. Faithfulness, more important than popularity. Now listen, you say, well that's not a big deal today, and we're not under attack. I know of churches all across this land that the way a person becomes a deacon or a teacher or a staff member, has very little to do with the spiritual qualifications and everything to do with a popularity contest. And I'm so grateful that's not the case here, but there's a spiritual strategy in people discovering their place of ministry within the church. Deacons must be the husbands of one wife, managing their children and their household competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So that's very specific to the office of deacon. But let me say again to the congregation, you don't have to have the office of the deacon. You don't have to have a certificate of ordination as a pastor or a deacon to serve. As a matter of fact, I said this, say this all the time, I said it again this morning, that certificate of ordination and a dollar and Seven cents can get you a small cup of coffee at Hardy's. It's, it's, it's not that. It's, it's God's call on your life. As a matter of fact, the church doesn't ordain anybody. God ordains us. The church recognizes God's hand and commissions. And so more specifically this morning, we're going to have a time of commissioning. But I want us all to respond to what God's calling each of us to do before we pray for Kel and Ashley this morning. So would you bow your heads with me this morning?